right. Good morning, everybody. Hey. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me just say I am so excited about this morning. You're going to know why in just a moment. But my, I do need to explain. Pastor Johnson and Summer are not here this weekend. They're at a, a missions conference. My wife is not here this weekend. She's speaking at a writer's conference. Kervin and, and, and Candace are not here, the campus pastors, because Kervin just lost his mom two days ago. So y'all be praying for him as they kind of wrap up that, and it's, it's been a difficult time for them. So uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm here, so I'm glad to hear, be here, and I love, I love this church. And I'm excited because we, we've been talking about this concept of being sent. That's been the theme of the beginning of the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Because we're going to enter into a, a, what I call the great transition of the church this morning. In fact, I, I'll go as far as to say that of all the, the, the moments in the book of, of, in the Bible, in the New Testament, I should say, this is probably one of the greatest moments of the church. It's when the New Testament church is born. And Acts is the transition ch uh, book of the Bible. It transitions from the four gospels to the epistles, and in between is the book of Acts, where we see Jesus ascending to heaven, leaving behind his disciples, really just a, a ragtag bunch of people. In fact, the Bible calls them unlearned and ignorant people, and they would never been to Bible school, didn't have theology degrees. There was no doctor on the front of them or prophet on the front of them. They were just normal, average people, and then God brought this introduction of how they were going to birth the church in Acts chapter 1, and then in Acts chapter 2, it, it's demonstrated. And the, the, the reason why this is so important is because once Acts chapter 2 happened, everything changed in the earth. Everything changed. Everything changed because now you have what we call the New Testament birthing of the church. This is when the church was born. This is when we move from just people following Jesus to now an actual mighty force called the church, of which you and I, some 2,000 years on the other side of Acts 2, are still functioning in. And it's just amazing to me. I don't know if you ever just sit down and think that over 2 billion people in the earth, in some capacity, still follow this Jesus, the greatest influencer of all time. He is, the, when they put him on Time Magazine, there's nothing that's, there's no person that's ever been on the earth greater than Jesus. Would y'all agree with that? And what people miss, and unfortunately they miss, that what made him great was because he was not just a man, he was God as a man. And he comes in the form of a man and demonstrates to the earth what it's like to live with the anointing of God on his life called the Holy Spirit. When he comes, it's interesting, you study his life. He, he lived 30 years, you don't see anything in those first 30 years of supernatural things, you don't see him preaching, you don't see him operating in powerful things, raising dead people, healing sick people, you don't see any of that until he goes out and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. By the way, we just got finished fasting for 21 days. Amen. Some of you aren't clapping because you weren't fasting. But those of you that were fasting, you know what I'm talking about. We've been doing this for 30 years. 
And it took me back 30 years ago when we started fasting in the church. We were just a small church. We had about 500 people in the church, 400 people in the church. We were not in this building. This building didn't exist. We didn't own this land. We were in another building. We had about four or 500 people, and we called the church to a fast about 30 years ago, and I'll never forget when I said this. I don't even know what I was saying or committing to. I said, we're going to call the church to a fast, and we're going to meet every morning at 6 o'clock at the church to pray. We're going to not just fast, but we're going to pray. We're going to add prayer to our fast. And to my surprise, about 150 people every morning for 21 days showed up to church. Almost a fifth of the church or fourth of the church showed up to church every morning for 21 days. Now, fast forward 30 years later, you can't even get people to get up at six o'clock in the morning, (laughs) much less get them to drive in the traffic here in Atlanta to get here at six o'clock in the morning. There was a hunger in the church like I'd never seen before. And I'm starting to feel and sense that that hunger is coming back to the church. A few of you have it. A few of you have it. Now, tonight, we're going to celebrate the end of our fast with thirst. And I know some of you are your football fanatics. I love football. The, the NFL and the, the playoffs are tonight or today, this afternoon. And I know it's really important, especially to guys, to watch that. And I, I love football. But what I've learned is we have a little thing called record <laughs> that you can punch on your TV. Come on, somebody. And you can watch it when you get home. And what I've learned is sometimes when you're going after God, there's, a, there's something about making a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice that, that offers up to God whatever is an idol in your life and says, I'm, I'm not going to make football greater than you, God. So I'm calling you back, and you're going to see something happen tonight. It's going to be a result of what's preached this morning that could change and alter your life forever. And I'll explain that in just a minute. All right, so Acts chapter two is the transition scripture. This is the prophecy that Jesus had given to them to go and wait in the upper room. And now they're in the upper room in Acts chapter two and verse one. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, and let me just pause for a moment because some of you need to understand what Pentecost is. Pentecost Pente means 50, and Pentecost was a celebration at that time, historical celebration of Jewish people 50 days after Passover. Passover was the celebration of the deliverance of Israel or the Jewish people out of Egypt from slavery into the promised land where God passed over with the the death angel so that none of them died, and they went out into the desert and eventually ended up in the promised land. That was a huge celebration for the Jewish people. And then Pentecost was 50 days after that. And it was called the Festival of Weeks, where they would celebrate. And what was happening when this is going on in the upper room is Jewish people from all over that part of the world were gathered together in Jerusalem in celebration of Passover and then Pentecost. Now, modern-day Pentecost is the celebration of when Jesus died and rose from the dead 50 days later. 50 days later is the day of Pentecost, and it's 10 days since Jesus has been on the earth. He has now risen 10 days ago, and now risen from the dead, and he has ascended into heaven. 10 days later is this day of Pentecost. So it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all 
together in one place. They were unified. We learned about the power of all together last week. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated uh, and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues, and amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Now, historically, I need to set the tone here. Historically, this was, there's a lot more going on here than I have time to teach about or explain. But this is a fulfillment of prophetic promises that have been going all the way through the Old Testament up to the New Testament. Joel had prophesied it, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, a couple thousand years before that. And he had said, in, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Peter would stand up and explain that to them. That's what it was. But what was really happening, which was so interesting, so supernatural, is that all these people were of the same faith. They were Jewish people that believed in God from the Old Testament. And they were gathered there for this celebration, thinking they were gathered for Passover and then Pentecost, not knowing that God was about to change everything about the meaning of Passover and the meeting of Pentecost in a moment, suddenly. Genesis chapter 11 records the dividing of the world. It says that the people were all in one place, all in one accord, and all spoke the same language that lived on the earth. And they began to think that maybe God could be ascended to. Maybe we can rise up to be equal with God and let's build a temple up to heaven so that we can be equal with God, which was the birthing of what we now know as humanism. Humanism is nothing more or less than saying, I am God. I'm in control of my future, my destiny. There's no creator. There's no, none of that. There's nothing I have to submit to. The only one I have to submit to is me. And they started to build this tower up, and God saw that they could do it because they were so unified. So he did one small thing that changed everything. He confused their languages. And suddenly, they all sp spoke in languages that they had not spoken in before, and it divided them based on language. They couldn't understand each other. So they formed groups built around languages, which became cultures, which became nations. And all the nations of the world started in Genesis 11 and eventually grew out of that experience of humanism. 
What happened there was the people began to divide. They were no longer unified. They were no longer together. They were no longer of one accord. They were no longer willing to submit to God. And so outside of that, what happened is they began to divide against each other. And wars began to take place. And device, division, racism, everything we see in the earth today is all a byproduct of Genesis 11. And the miracle of Acts 2 is now God brought all these different ethnos, ethnicities together, cultures together, and he pours out the Holy Spirit on the, on the church, which then speaks in this tongue of their languages. And they hear the wonderful works of God, and suddenly they hear that God now has provided a Savior, Jesus, and 3,000 of those people get saved. And when they get saved, all the ethnicities, all the nations, all the divisiveness, all the racism, all that stuff begin to get pulled down, and the elevation of the kingdom of God was elevated above it, and they came together and formed the New Testament church. We are a church in, in, in this world, we have 196 nations. We are a church of 145 of those nations, 145. So what we see here is a little peek in to what was happening in the book of Acts. This is very unusual. You understand you're in an unusual place. This is not normal because most churches are one race only churches. Black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, they're divided according to culture. But what God was showing us is that the kingdom culture is greater than the earthly culture. Can I get a bigger amen? Our division is over earthly culture. Our unification is over the kingdom culture. And he did it supernaturally with this thing called the power of the Holy Spirit. They formed the church. The church... In the New Testament, the first church looked just like this. It looked just like this. And how did you get people with all different ethnicities, all different languages, all different cultures to come together and form the church? The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. He brought them back together. Now, what was interesting is once this started to happen, it began to transform the community around it. The people were so excited, they asked Peter what happened, and he said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about in the last days. And by the way, if he was saying the last days 2,000 years ago, how many of you know we're a little closer to the last days now? Does it not feel like the last days? Does it not feel like the things are happening that are wrapping things up in the earth? And, and he's speaking to them, the New Testament church is born, and instead of now just gathering, they start scattering. And that was the message of the church. No longer do you just gather on a weekend service and go to temple and worship God. You are now empowered to go out and spread this gospel to the whole earth. Now, what happened there was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this was prophesied. Jesus said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus introduces what's called the second baptism. We all know the baptism of water. We just saw it demonstrated this Sunday morning. People going down the old and coming up the new. The baptism of water, by the way, if you've received Christ, listen to this. 
This is important. Baptism in water is your true public profession of your faith. Not just praying a prayer. Baptism in water is when you are standing before people publicly professing that you are going down the old and you are coming up the new. If you have never been water baptized, what is holding you back? What's hindering you? Because that is the statement. That's your public profession of faith. And when they did this in the Bible, it says they went down under the water signifying that they were going down the old man and when they came up out of the water, signifying they're coming up a new man, a new person. All their sins have been washed. All their past has been dealt with. Everything on the cross was dealt with. All their sins were nailed to the cross. Now they have a new life. And this is why Jesus said, you must be born again. And this is signified by John's baptism. But he says, there's another baptism called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist talked about this in the book of Matthew. When he was on the earth, before he was martyred, it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I, John the Baptist, baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then he adds another word, and fire. Everybody say fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this word fire has really been stirring in me lately. When Johnson said we're going to, you know, right before next week's our anniversary service, our 34th anniversary service, and then the following weekend, we have a Saturday night service starting, two weeks for the crowd that comes on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. They can't get in this room. You come on Saturday night. Come on. Saturday night, is, Saturday night is fuego. I used to call it Saturday night raw. You never know what's going to happen on Saturday night because you don't have any hindrance of another service coming right after it. Come on, somebody. So y'all come to Saturday night once we start it. So what happens here is Jesus is saying there's a second baptism. Years ago when I was... Uh, just brand new Christian, probably six months into my Christianity. I was 22 years of age. I was, I'd just become a Christian six months ago, and I was sitting in a mall. I had a business back then with my father, and we, dev- we designed nautical furniture that was kind of unique, and we would do these home shows in malls and in home shows. And I'm sitting there one day in this mall somewhere around Baltimore, Maryland, and a guy walks up to me. And he says, um, I noticed you're reading your, I was reading my Bible. He says, I noticed you're reading your Bible. He says, are you a Christian? I said, yes. I said, I, I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to understand it, but I'm struggling because there's a lot of times I'm reading the Bible. I don't know if you've ever had this, you just read the scriptures, you don't, you don't understand everything. I need someone to help me understand, kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible. And so he said, well, let me ask you this. He said, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? And here's what my answer was, same answer they gave in the Bible when they were asked this question. I have not even heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've only heard, I grew up in the Baptist church, and in the Baptist church, the only baptism we talk about is the baptism in water. And he said, well, there's a second baptism, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, something happens in you called fire. 
And I didn't understand that. And I said, so I started asking him some questions and then he asked me this question. I'm gonna ask you the same question. Here's what he asked me. Do you want everything that God has for you while you're here on this earth? Let me see, how many of you want everything? You want all of God. Here's what I found. Not everybody wants everything. You'll see tonight. I mean, we'll have thirst service tonight, but not everyone will come. Not everyone's hungry. Not everyone's thirsty. There are a lot of people that their hunger is filled in other ways and thirst is filled in other ways and it's not that important. But those who, that's why I love thirst because thirst is nothing but hungry people, nothing but thirsty people. And when you get around hungry and thirsty people, watch out. When we go after God with hungry and thirsty people, the Holy Spirit comes down and supernatural things start to happen. So we're, I'm looking forward to that. And so he said, you want everything? I said, Absolutely, I want everything. And he says, now, I'm gonna pr- I wanna pray with you, and here's what you need to, to understand. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will enter into a whole different level with God. You're gonna enter into a whole different level. It's not that you're not saved already. You are saved. You're living for God. You'll go to heaven. But if you wanna operate in the fullness of who Jesus was in the earth, if you wanna be like Jesus on the earth, you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and so I said, well, I want it. I'm ready. Pray for me right now. He says, well, we're in a mall. There's a lot of people here. He said, I want you to go through the day and think about this. And tonight, when, when we're finished, you go back to your hotel room. Tell me where you're staying. I'll come over and I'll pray for you. And this was in the day when people would say that and they would actually keep their word. They wouldn't text you and say, I'm sorry, something has come up and I've got to change my plans right now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so I said, well, okay. Now here's, there's, there's something about this waiting. And so the reason I say that is because this morning when I finish, I'm not going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to come back tonight. I want you to wait till tonight. And you say, why? Because it takes a long time. When people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not something that happens in two seconds. And, and people go through an experience with God. And I want you to have the full time to do that. And the only way you can do that is tonight. Plus, I want to see who wants it. If you are really hungry for it, you'll come back. Amen. amen. Can I get a bigger amen? amen? Now, if you said amen, you better be here. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of people, isn't it? All right, so I said, I want it. So he came to my, my room that night. I'm, laying, I'm sitting there, and he comes in the room, and he starts telling me, he says, I'm not gonna belabor this. He said, I'm just gonna pray for you. I'm gonna lay hands on you, and that's what we're gonna do tonight for people who've never received it. And he prayed for me, and I, I was just sitting there, nothing happening, nothing feeling. And he says, all right, now you have the ability to operate in, in supernatural. He says, you can begin to speak in tongues now. I said, well, it's not, make, it's not happening. I'm, I'm not... It's not making me speak in tongues. I said, he, he said, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you speak in tongues. And he said, in fact, you don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. That was a huge revelation for me. Because a lot of denominations have made it, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't know God. You're not even close to God. And the real reality is a lot of people have a hard time because their mind gets in the way. And so he said, you have to do the speaking by faith, and God forms the language in you. So I just started speaking. I didn't know what I was saying. It was just gibberish to me. And he says, it's just like a baby. When you first start talking, it starts off like that, and it develops into a language as the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. 
All of a sudden, I'm speaking in tongues. I'm praying in tongues. And, I, and he left. He went home. I got in the shower. I'm taking a shower. And I'm just, I mean, I'm just going after God. Come on, somebody. Some of you just freaked out when you heard that. I, I, I'm praying. I'm not speaking in tongues in the sense of a, a message to the church where there's an interpretation. I'm, I'm operating in my prayer language that God gave me supernaturally. I've learned that when you pray in the spirit, it's not like praying in the natural. He's, Paul said, I pray in the natural and I pray in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is when you allow yourself to be yielded to the Holy Spirit and just pray out the supernatural prayer. So I got filled with the Holy Spirit and three things started happening to me immediately. And I say that because I want you to wait for this and experience this. And tonight, you're going to have these three things happen to you. If you haven't already had them, if you haven't already had this experience. And some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me see how many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, about half of you. Some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but let me just say, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience. It's a daily experience. You'll see through the Bible, there were many times after they've been baptized that another outpouring of the Spirit comes over them. And they, they operate in supernatural gifts of the Spirit. All right, so as I'm praying, uh, learning this about the Holy Spirit, the begin, he began to show me there's three things, primary things that happen, and this is what you can expect to happen that's different than just when you get saved. Now, these three things can happen when you get saved, but they're magnified, they're magnified when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is why God gives us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first thing, and if you're taking notes, write this down, is purification. The Holy Spirit, he says, is like fire. And I like this translation. This is the message version of this. Uh, listen to this. This is where John's promising the Holy Spirit in verse 11. In the message paraphrase, he says, I'm baptizing you here in the river turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, he's talking about Jesus, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. Now look at this, this is so powerful. He's going to clean house Make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God, and everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Woo, I like that. Now, here's what I found. Before I got saved, I used to say this to God. God, I, I, I believe in you, Jesus, but I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to surrender. I got some stuff in my life that I still love, sin in my life that I still love. And, the, and, I, and I said, when I'm ready to give it up, I'll come to you. And the Lord said to me one day, he said, you'll never be ready to give it up until you come to me. He says, you don't have the power to give it up. You don't have the self-will to give it up without me empowering you to give it up. And you can't get that power till you surrender to me. So I've been surrendered for six months but I'm still going through a sanctification process. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where I'm slowly, sin is slowly breaking off of me, 
but I'm still not fully, completely uh, delivered from sin. And so now I'm asking God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'm noticing that there is a fire that comes over you where it starts to convict you deeply of your sin, sin that you've been doing all your life. And it begins to change your mind. It begins to affect your mind. Your mind has been bound by strongholds, which are thoughts and ideas that were put in there by the world to to bind you, to enslave you to the things of this world, and they do not break off easily. It takes a while to break them off, but the Holy Spirit can break them off like that. The power of the Holy Spirit can break strongholds. And so I'm just saying, God, I want these strong. How many of you want strongholds broken off of your mind? Any of you that are struggling in your mind with impure thoughts, with an impure lifestyle, you're having sin constantly come back into your life, you're having addictions to things in the world, you might have found out during the fast you were addicted to food. Yeah. You started having sugar cravings. You started having cravings for food. And, and suddenly now you realize how much it controls your life. That literally, why do I go to the mall when I can't eat? If I can't eat, I'm not going nowhere. Because everything's built around eating. We're going to have friends over. What are we going to do if we're not eating? We're going to watch a football game and not eat? Come on, somebody. Our whole life's built around eating. The appetites of the flesh, the hunger of the flesh, food and sex are the two big ones, and entertainment. And those are three things that when you fast them, you start to eventually get a control of that area of appetite. And then the Holy Spirit fills you. And here's what I used to say. The Lord gave me a word last year at the beginning of the year. He says, clean the house and I'll fill the house. Empty yourself so I can fill you. You know why God has a hard time filling us? We're already full. We're full of ourselves, full of our ideas, full of our habits, full of our will, full of our, all, all, what we want and not what God wants. Come on, somebody. Full of entertainment, full of a mind that's been washed by the water of the world and constantly thinking like the world. And so God says, if you want to be filled, you have to empty yourself. That's why fasting is important. And then I'm going to fill you with the spirit of the Lord, purifying you, burning out. This is what we're going to do tonight. God, burn out everything that's in me that's not holy. By the way, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, remember his name is Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you and not help you be holy. Amen. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it starts to burn that out of you. And suddenly everything shifts in your life. I stopped doing the things I was doing. I stopped falling prey to the things that were controlling my life, and I started breaking free. Tonight is a night of freedom. Tonight is a night of freedom. We're going to experience that freedom. The second word that describes the fire is illumination. And what God showed me years ago, he says, he said to me, he said, there are things that you don't know yet, that you can't see yet, that you don't understand yet about God, but I show them to you by the Holy Spirit. My spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a son and a daughter of God. Now keep this in mind. There's three ways that we know things. 
three ways. The first way is perceptual knowledge. That's we know things by the five senses, ears, eyes, nose, all those kind of things, feeling, touching. We know things by our five senses. That's our flesh. Our flesh knows things. The second way is not only perceptual knowledge, but conceptual knowledge. This is when our mind gets involved, where reason gets involved, where our will gets involved, where we know things in our mind, where we educate our mind. And our mind and our, and our flesh are generally what control our whole lives until we're born again. And when we're born again, then our human spirit that has been lying dormant and dead, not alive inside of us. By the way, when you see people walking without God, they're walking dead. That's why we have such a fascination with zombies. Dead people walking. They're dead spiritually. They're alive physically. They're alive mentally, but they're not alive spiritually. And when you're not alive spiritually, then your mind and your body are left to deception, to follow whatever comes its way, to false religions, to false belief systems, to false lifestyles, all those kinds of things. This is how the devil controls people. So when your spirit comes alive, then there's the next level of knowledge called spiritual knowledge, where it's the Holy Spirit speaking to your human spirit, bypassing your five senses, bypassing your mind will and emotions, and speaking directly to your human spirit, spirit to spirit. And God begins to show you things that you cannot see with your natural eyes, and you begin to hear things that people cannot hear with their natural ears. You begin to see visions. He said, when I pour out my spirit, he says, your sons and your daughters, this is Acts chapter two, will prophesy. They will hear words from God and they will speak them out. They will, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. In other words, you're gonna see things that no others can't see. When I started this church, when Colleen and I started this church 34 years ago, God showed me in the book of Acts chapter one, when the Holy Spirit came down, what the vision of this church was to be based on was Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, when you shall receive power, he says, then he says, you're gonna be a witness of me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And he says, Jerusalem is your family, Judea is your community, Samaria is other cultures and other races, and the uttermost parts of the world is world missions. He said, if you pour your church around that vision, you cannot fail. You cannot fail. And now here we are, 34 years on the other side of it. We have never seen the church ever decline, ever even plateau. Every year, the giving's gone up. Every year, the people have gone up. Every year, the power has gone up. <laughs> this year, we will celebrate having given over the last 34 years, or 33 years, $100 million into missions. We are a nation, a church of 145 nations. We are a church that has community outreaches everywhere, and our focus is on making sure your family, your family is strong. Listen, you can't mess with that. That's, that's God right there. So God illuminates you. He brings you to a place where you hear God. How many of you could use some hearing God right now? You need some direction. You need some direction for your life. Everything you see right now in this building was a result of God speaking and showing a vision. Everything, everything you see here, when, when we were 
nothing. This land was just a piece of property. And I was walking on this property 21 years ago. And I was walking on, or 23 years ago, I was walking on this property just praying. We had a building down the hill where we have our offices now. That's where our church was. And I was walking on this property and the God said, go up onto this mound, stick a stick in the ground, claim this for God. It belonged to Waffle House. And God said to me, this is your land. We didn't have the money at the time. We didn't have enough resources. Waffle House had already told us three times we, we're not selling the land. And God said, stake it in the ground. This is your land. This is your land. Now, to the natural eye, everybody that was driving by Brook Hollow Parkway saw some fool standing up on a hill with a pine stick in his hand, all by himself, claiming, praising God by himself. They had no idea what God had illuminated in my heart. Where you see that cross out there is where I stood. That's why we marked it with a cross. It's a memorial for where God spoke to us about this church. A few days later, I approached the real estate agent. I said, go back to Waffle House. God's given us this land. Joe Rogers, who was the owner and president of Waffle House, had said no three times. When they walked in the door, Joe said, you know, it's interesting you come with this proposal. He said, we just decided at a board meeting we're going to sell this land. And if the church wants it, we'll give it to them for a million dollars less than the value of the land. There's something good about Waffle House. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Go visit your, natu- your, your, normal, your Waffle House tomorrow <laughs> now that you're off the fast. Why do I say that? Because God has the same promise for you. There's something he wants to show you, something he wants to illuminate in you that you haven't seen and not heard yet. So you've got purification, you've got illumination, and then finally, and this is the big one, You get empowerment. You get the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on the earth, in Luke chapter four, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of the fast, after having dealt with the devil out in the fast, three different temptations the devil came at him with, he comes back out of the the wilderness, and as he comes back, he announces himself prophetically fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, who had already spoken hundreds of years before that this was going to happen. And he says, he quotes Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me, for he has anointed me, and he has anointed me to preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captive, those who've been bound, to destroy yokes, to remove burdens. He's called me now, and he's anointed me. Everybody say anointing. Now, you don't hear a lot of talk about the anointing much anymore because we are so good at faking the anointing. We've been able to fake the anointing for years. We've been able to fake it in the church. We get in the church, and we start off with the anointing, but then when the anointing's not good enough, we smoke up the stage. We turn up the volume. We hype the crowd. Come on, somebody. We get everybody. Oh, the Holy Ghost is in this place. Look at the smoke of the Holy Ghost. It got so bad there for a while, I'd have to walk out of the sanctuary. Come on now. We can't fake that. But how many of you know there's a real smoke? There's a real anointing that's called the Holy Spirit. You don't have to hype him up. You don't have to hype him up. 
In fact, I don't think he likes it when we hype him up. Did y'all hear what I just said? I think he, he likes it when we're not hyping him up and we just receive him. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and basically the same spirit that came on Christ wants to come on you. So Jesus makes this astounding statement in the book of John chapter 16. I'm sorry, John chapter 14. He says, verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, Whoever, he who believes in me. How many of you believe in Jesus? Let me see your hand. He who believes in me, you qualify for this. The works that I do, he will do also. And, everybody say and. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, I don't have time to read all the scripture, but he goes on to tell you how that's gonna happen. I'm gonna send you another helper. The other helper is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave, he's going to come. I'm going to leave, he's going to come. And he's not only coming to fill you, he's going to come upon you. And when he comes upon you, he's going to anoint you to do the same works I did on the earth. What are the works of Jesus? Healing sick people, casting out devils, operating in supernatural Insight, prophetic insight, the gifts of the spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, the gifts of healings, the working of miracles, the gift of faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, supernatural gifts. I'm going to bestow upon the church so that the church can operate like I did. And because the church is doing it, it's going to be greater because it's a whole church instead of one person, instead of one individual. Jesus only operated in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in Israel. He never left Israel, rarely left Jerusalem, and was only in that part of the world for his 33 years of life and only operated in the power of the Spirit for three of those years. You don't see any gifts, no power for 30 years until he gets anointed by the Holy Spirit. Then for the next three years, he turns the world upside down. He heals sick people, lame people walk, blind people see, res- dead people get raised from the dead. Come on, somebody. And what did we do? What did we do? After Jesus left, after the disciples had the book of Acts, after that was over, after the apostles left the earth, what we did is we became religious and we made up a whole new theology in the church that says that was just for that day and no longer for today. Cessation. In other words, all the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit no longer operates like that anymore. Are you kidding me? You need to go out and see what's going on in the world. You need to see that the power of the Holy Spirit is setting the world on fire all through the world. The fastest growing, biggest churches, most thriving ministries are all baptized in the Holy Spirit churches. The churches that are dying preach that stuff. All you got to do is drive around Atlanta and see all those churches dying, going, becoming immaterially more because, why? Because young people today believe in the supernatural. Oh, they believe in it. They just don't know about God in the supernatural. They know about the devil and supernatural. They tap into all that, the occult and all that other stuff. They don't know that God's power is greater than Satan's power and has more authority than Satan's power. They don't know that you can get demons that you've been praising and operating with, you can cast them out. 
You can take authority over it. They don't know that beyond science is God. Science is one thing. God is a whole other thing. Science cannot explain creation. Science cannot explain miracles. And all of us that were raised on science sometimes struggle with the supernatural. That's why you have to understand the Bible is our guide, not our minds. The Bible is our guide, not our minds. You have to be transformed in your mind. You have to renew your mind to the way God thinks and the way God functions, not the way you think and the way you function. You will shut down the supernatural in a New York minute. And a New York minute's a fast minute. You'll shut him down. But once you open your heart to God and say, God, I want more. How many of you want more? I want more. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happened in the book of Acts, and I'll wrap it up with this, Acts chapter 4. Right before Acts 4 is Acts 3, and Acts 3 is, the, is, a, is a description of what happened in the supernatural when they started operating in the power of God. Peter and John, Peter had just preached the gospel, 3,000 people are saved, the church is born, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4 records the story of Peter and John going towards the, the, day, the, the hour of prayer, which they, they prayed every day at three o'clock in the afternoon. Can you imagine people praying at three o'clock in the afternoon every day? They prayed every day at three o'clock because so they were intense. They, they, they were fighting all kinds of troubles and persecution and their lives were in jeopardy. So they're going to pray and on their way to prayer, they come across a lame man who'd been lame since, he's, since he was born. 40, over 40 years, he'd been sitting on that street begging for money. They came upon him and, he, and he's looking at them, expecting them to give him some money. And, he, and they, this is what Peter said, look on us. Don't look around. Look on us. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have is in the name of Jesus, rise and be healed. And it says this man leaped to his feet, took his mat that he'd been sitting on for 40 years begging, leaped to his feet and began to praise God, leaping and praising God. The entire town knew about this man and went crazy. This man's been lame. He was just, what we saw Jesus do, these men just did. They just healed this man. So they gathered around Peter and John and they were just, they were starting to make them into gods. And Peter said, don't look at us. Don't put your emphasis on us because we don't have any power to heal anybody. But this name, this, this name of Jesus, that's what healed this man. The name that's above every name can heal any sickness, any disease. And what has made this man whole is the name of Jesus, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes through that name. And it says they were arrested. They were arrested and they were commanded never to say that name again. <laughs> and, and it says they were, the Bible describes them as the people marveled at these unlearned and ignorant men were being used by God. So if you're saying, well, I don't, I don't have a degree, I'm not smart, you're in the perfect position to be used by God. <laughs> Sometimes the smarter you are, the less God can use you. You're too full of yourself, too full in your mind. Sometimes you have to lower that and say, God, I don't know anything. I can do nothing. I am nothing without you. It's your spirit in me that helps me to do things in this earth. And so they said, so they were arrested. They got, they got set free miraculously. They got dismissed. He said, but you never speak about this name again. And here's what they said. 
We cannot stop speaking about Jesus, even if it means you arrest us. Well, Peter, you should obey the law. You don't obey a law that disagrees with God's word. Did you hear what I just said? You don't obey a law that disagrees with God's word. Remember that. You're going to need that someday. You don't obey a law that disagrees with God's word. What God's word says, you have to obey over what human laws are. Now, human laws are not wrong and not evil, but sometimes man gets in the mix of them and tries to shut down God with laws. Did you hear what I just said? You can't speak about this in a public place. You can't do this. You can't do that. What I've found is when you just obey God, God takes care of the rest. He takes care of the rest. But how many of you know it takes boldness to do that? So they went back and they gathered together again. They started celebrating what God had done that they were, listen to this, celebrating that they had been beaten for their faith. They had been beaten for their faith and they're celebrating that they had been beaten for their faith. When was the last time you celebrated being beaten for your faith? And they gathered together, and here's what it says in Acts chapter four. We'll wrap it up with this in verse 29. This is what they said. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to see this place shaking tonight. It ain't gonna shake like that. It ain't gonna shake like that. We come to the old God's pod, God. Let's just say, yes, yes, God, you're so good. Yes, thank you, Lord. No, it's gonna have to take, it's gonna take a little more than that, guys. You're gonna have to come hungry. You better come a little early because you're not gonna get in the room. You'll be up in the overflow room wishing you got here a little early. Come early and get ready. As T.D. Jakes would say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because God wants to move in our lives in this new time of our season. This is his time right now. We've been fasting for 21 days. Let's go after God. The room was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. These were the same people that were filled back in Acts chapter 2. They're getting another filling. And here's what it says. And spoke the word of God boldly. This is one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is upon you. You're no, listen to me, you're no longer afraid of people. You're no longer intimidated by what people think about you. You're no longer scared to tell people about Jesus. That when you have the right moment and the right time, you say it, you speak it boldly. You speak it to the people that you work with. You speak it to your neighbors. You speak it to the family members that have been resisting all along. You take the repercussions of faith. You know that some people are not gonna receive it. Not everybody's gonna listen to you, but you speak it with boldness. Now listen, what would happen if an entire church was filled with boldness? Oh my goodness. I don't think you understand the repercussions of that. We have three services about to go to four. We could not contain all the people that came to Christ if this church was filled with boldness. If this church had boldness, we'd have to be starting churches almost every month. We'd have to be planning pastors and churches almost every month. We'd have to be doing things that we've never seen done before because the church would begin to explode. The only reason the church is not exploding is because the church is not filled with boldness because they're not going after God. They're going after things in the world and then going to church. 
You can't add church and the world together and expect to get boldness. At some time, you've got to come out of the world, be separated from the world, and go after God. If you're going to live for God, you've got to start saying more of you, God, and less of me. I empty myself, God, so you can fill me. And that's what we're going to do tonight. But right now, in order for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to be sure you're born again. You can't receive the baptism if you just acknowledge Jesus in your head, but you've never had a transformation in your heart. You have to start at the very basic foundation of Jesus Christ. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. I can't elevate the Holy Spirit above Jesus. Everything starts with Jesus. And it's Jesus that then baptizes me with the Holy Spirit. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment before we go home. This is your moment right now. This is a moment where God could change your direction in life if you'll let him. And some of you are here. You're struggling in sin. You're struggling with your past. You're struggling in wrong relationships. There's a lot of stuff that you've been elevating above God. And now, at this moment, God's calling you to forsake those things, put them on an altar, die to any idols in your life, and say, Jesus, come and take over my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe in you in my head, but I also believe in you in my heart. Come transform me into a new creation. If you're here today, whether you've fallen away or you've never known Jesus, and today you want to start your journey back or start your journey for the very first time, with every head bowed and every eye closed, here and in the overflow and online, lift up your hands to the Lord. Say, that's me, God. All across this building, lots of you, lift up your hands. Lift them up. Don't be ashamed. Be bold about it. Yes, I want you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Let's pray together, all of us. Jesus, right now, I repent of my sins. I turn away from my old lifestyle and turn to you for forgiveness. Today, I surrender everything, my body, my mind, and my spirit belong to you. I believe Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, and then he rose from the dead. And I believe that when I receive you, Jesus, I have a new life for eternity. So today... I lift up my hands all across this place and I surrender to you, Jesus. Come into my heart, drive out all the darkness and replace it with you in Jesus' name. And everybody 